Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gittler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number nine in our series for 2020, and today's date is Friday, April 3rd. First, I'll be talking to executive and leadership development coach, Ronan Leonard, who connects people up with his online platform, Ecanability, the first global virtual mastermind platform. He's helping service professionals move their business online as the coronavirus social distancing rules and lockdown come into effect. And then I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering, analysing Australia's unemployment figures, the likely impact of the coronavirus on the job market, and what the RBA is doing about it. But now, let's talk to Ronan Leonard. Okay, well, Ronan, uh, you are finding, or you are suggesting that businesses go online uh, with the current shutdown, and you're coaching them to do it. Uh, What are the issues that they're facing? Oh, look, not everybody can immediately switch online. So it's going to take a little bit of creative thinking and it's not going to be for everyone. Just some businesses can't switch. But certainly a lot of service-based professionals, it's the, I wouldn't say the perfect time because but a crisis from a crisis, businesses either evolve and grow and, and change where they do things or they die. So it's adapt or die mentality. So one of the things that uh, I'm advocating for people is to to look at how they've delivered content and information in the past and find ways they can do that differently and certainly they can do that online. 
one of the core things that I teach is that the model of the flipped or the inverted classroom. Have you heard of that before, Leon? Uh, no, no. Well, schools are starting to embrace that as well. The concept really is quite simple, is that normally you get into a classroom and a teacher comes up on, on the blackboard or wherever and they present all this information. Now, if you've got 20, 30 people in, in, a, in a room and you're presenting that, you can really only go as, as fast as the slowest person in that room. But if you imagine if you actually recorded that content and said, here's the content, go at your own pace, work on that, go through all the ideas and the concepts, whatever that is, and then come into the, the classroom or the group session for that hour, and then the educator is able to give context behind things, able to figure out where people are stuck, what they didn't understand, so they can maximize their time and more valuable teaching people what they didn't understand and the, 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 the ideas and the hacks to get through their sticking points instead of them just spending an hour just talking to them and giving them content. And when you do that at flipped or inverted classroom, that hour you spend with the people is far more valuable than just presenting. So that's one example of ways that you can, especially if you're a service professional and you've got all this knowledge, all this IP, all this expertise, put that down in something. It could be it could be text, could be video based, could be bullet points. You know, we're going to discuss these items, get people to consume that. And then when they come, they've got questions, they've got additional ideas, and you can use that in a far more valuable way than just pro uh, producing content to them. Now, how pre well prepared are businesses for that transition? Oh, look, I think everyone's known about technology for years, and it's going to it's be nice to have that, it'd be nice to have that. But the ones, obviously, that have embraced it early, the early adopters are going to be much more likely to, to survive this because they've probably either thought about it, they've tried it, or they're already halfway through adopting it. And the people I'm speaking to, several people have said, oh, this has come just in time. For example, uh, my wife works for a large superannuation organization, and they recently just all upgraded to Office 365, and they all had their... Um, phone systems removed and did it all through their laptops. So now with this current crisis, uh, every, pretty much everybody's working from home, but they haven't had to take their phones with them. They're all connected that way. So they were forward thinking enough to have this in place and it literally came in about two weeks ago. So they were just at that adoption curve that they got in nice and early. So it's really about where you are normally on adoption curve. For, for years, people have said, oh, look, I don't want to learn to I don't want to learn new technology. It's hard. Yeah, you know, I'm happy where I am. But the reality is everything is changing even before this crisis. Things are always changing and evolving. So the more that you're able to embrace new technology, try new things, you'll find better ways to work. So in answer to your question, the people that are early adopters, the people embrace technology or embrace change are going to be far more resilient in this time. But how big a proportion of the business population do they represent? Oh, I'm probably not qualified to answer that one, to be honest. We know that the people that are in things like cafes and everything, there's almost, I wouldn't say there's nothing they can do, there's very little they can do. But even within those businesses, there are examples of, of people that have pivoted around and start doing home deliveries now, that are dropping off food, that are coming up with a, a, a small little subscription model. So instead of them waiting for the customers to come to them, They've said, okay, well, how can I change this around? How can I go out and make sure the people that are working from home now, I can still cook them three lunches a week or whatever that looks like. So some businesses will be able to, to pivot and adapt. Not everyone can do that. So it's, it's a question of 
going back to your your assumptions and your thinking, speak to other people, find other creative ways that potentially you can turn this around and, and get some kind of income coming in at these very troubling times. This is quite fascinating because this will change business forever, won't it? Absolutely. We know that come the other side of this, whatever that looks like, and, and to be honest, nobody knows. What I, what I, what I understand is that uh, everybody's out there sprouting their opinion as this will happen in two months, three months, six months, whatever. It's all conjecture and it's all just a guess. So we don't know what's going to happen on the other side. So that's the first thing is that there is still a huge amount of uncertainty. But yes, some business will never open their doors again. Some will come out stronger. Some will come out with a completely different business model than, than they had when they're going in. And that's all about being adaptable and, and, and looking for this as a potential opportunity of a way to do things differently. Well, this is actually a completely different business model to what they were working with previously. The ones that adapt, absolutely. Some of them will, might go back to business as usual. The reality is this is just a temporary measure for them, but they also might find innovation and, and different ways to do things. Um, I'm looking, you know, for years I was looking at things like financial um, planners or advisors. So they would go and sit in someone's home and they would, and then they would write up all this report. The technology is there today for them to have a, a Zoom call or something similar to record all those notes, to transcribe all those notes and have all that as a digital footprint uh, against, you know, I said this, no, I said that. All there is recorded and yet the majority of them have never done that. And sure, people like the personal touch. We don't want to, we don't necessarily want to use technology to put us into this box where we never interact with people, right? We are, we are a social um, animal. That's what we're all about. But there is definitely ways that we can improve um, certain businesses. And this, for some people, is just the push maybe that they, they, they needed. Without being flippant, I, I totally understand that this is absolutely devastating for a, a lot of business owners and, and a, a massive disruption for everybody. Uh, but you, like everything, you, you kind of look for some positives. How can I work through this? And a positive mindset allows you to start thinking about these ideas. So if you're in shutdown mode right now, crisis mode, fear kicks in, cortisol kicks in, you, you struggle to make those good decisions. But like I said, there are people out there that are already have changed their model. Um, I spoke to a, a friend of mine who's a, has a yoga studio in Essendon, and, and I just messaged him and said, I hope you're all right. I know you're affected. This is about a week ago. He said, yeah, we're working on something. And I asked him again yesterday, how are you? He said, we've moved our classes to an online streaming one. So we're still functioning while this is happening. We've pivoted. So they're just a couple of examples of businesses that have said, okay, I can't control what's happening right now. I can control my response. I can control my thoughts and my processes. And I can look for ways to at least do something to keep this business ticking over for when we go back to in-person um, yoga yoga sessions. What's interesting there is it actually calls on businesses to become much more creative in their approach, doesn't it? Absolutely, yes. They're, they're, as I said, business as usual, if you're not forced to change, often people just say, well, did this work for me? So it's worked for the last 5, 10, 20 years, whatever it is. And, and therefore, your creative thinking tends to become a little bit stagnated or you just, you're just not forced to do that. It happens to all of us, and let's be honest. But that ability, yes, to, to now to say, okay, let me have a look at everything I do. How do I do it? Why do it? What's best practice? What is out there that I haven't really explored before and open up my mind to these possibilities that are before weren't even on my radar? And uh, that 
as I said, becomes a completely different mindset for businesses now. Absolutely, and it's, it's been forced on us. So it's not, as I said, in, the, in a perfect world, we will just continue to, we're happy where we are, we're comfortable in that zone. Due to this crisis, it's been forced on just about everybody to take a, a long, hard look of, of where they're at, what their strengths are, what their gaps are, what they're really missing, and to fill in those gaps. And I'm encouraging everybody to, if you already have, if you're not massively affected by this, reach out to the people that are, um, offer them support, offer them some some help, and I'm finding more and more people are collaborating. There's never been a better time to, to get out of that bubble of, especially small business owners, they're the biggest affected um, because it's just often them or just a couple of small staff, is to get outside that bubble, to reach out to, to your connections, your friends, those other people, and these are where the, the ideas come, things that they haven't thought of before. They're able to then... Um, ask some advice or what would you do in the situation and get some of the answers that they probably haven't thought of themselves. So there's never been a better time for you to really get out there and, and, and support each other, make those connections and ensure that you're all supporting each other through this very, very difficult time. And the plus side of that is it actually turns business into, businesses into community models. Yes, that's really what we, what we, what we thrive and what we strive to be. We are a community. So, in this digital age, I think we've lost some of that. We've kind of been disconnected from the fact that uh, we are a community. And, and the second your local restaurant shuts down or there hasn't been food on the, on the shelf at your, your local supermarket and all these things are impacting around you, you suddenly realise how interconnected we are. And, and nobody in our lifetime has ever experienced anything like this. The only other part of community or that's been close to that is global warming. And, and people have seen effects of that. We've obviously had bushfires here in Australia a couple of months ago. We're seeing the tail end of that. Other communities that didn't have the fires not necessarily as impacted. But right now, this crisis is impacting every single person on the planet in one way or another. And it just brings home how connected we are. Well, Ronan Leonard, that is fantastic. And uh, wishing you all the best with your latest venture. Thank you very much. Thank you, Leon. And now let's talk to Indeed Economist, Callum Pickering. Okay, well, Callum Pickering, it's been a big week uh, this week. It's, uh, we've had uh, the unemployment figures coming out and the RBA has uh, done its bit, buying bonds and cut interest rates again. And uh, what's your take on uh, the unemployment figures? Well, it was the rare month where the unemployment figures come out, and it's quite a timely measure of economic activity, and yet it already feels quite redundant just two weeks later. So the unemployment rate declined to 5.1% in February. Employment was up 26,700 people. Normally, we consider that to be a pretty good result, um, but of course, we know what's happened over the past couple of weeks, and we know that the economy has deteriorated quite rapidly during that time, and we expect that that's going to have a big impact upon the unemployment rate in, in the months to come. So while, you know, the latest data is pretty good, you know, it, it's just not all that relevant at the moment because of what's happening with coronavirus. And you would expect the numbers would go up quite substantially. Yeah, that's right. I mean, forecasting what's likely to happen is, is quite difficult at the moment. We, we do know from our last two recessions, and we have to cast our minds back to the, the early 80s and the early 90s, that the unemployment rate spiked around five percentage points during both of those episodes. So if Australia does fall into a recession this time, there is that risk that the unemployment rate does jump quite significantly. To 10 or 15 percent? Potentially. Yes. Of course, 
you know, this recessionary episode could prove quite different from those previous episodes. It all depends on on how long this uh, coronavirus-related shutdown occurs. If it's something that we can sort of get on top of over the next few months and the economy can begin to return to normal quite quickly, and that will help to keep the unemployment rate down. But if this is something that persists over the next six months, then we are going to see a quite large increase in the unemployment rate, and it's something that's likely to persist for a long time going forward. The issue, though, is that history shows that recovery from a session is long and arduous, and it means that even once we have a recovery, the unemployment figures will remain quite high for some time. Yeah, that's quite possible. So in our last two recessions, it took around a decade for the unemployment rate to get back to where it was before the recession. So that's obviously a huge concern as we think about the the fallout of what's happening at the moment. I think one of the keys is going to be to ensure that households and businesses remain liquid throughout this economic crisis. If we can help ensure that you know, businesses keep operating and, and don't shut down, that there isn't those closures, then I think there is the possibility that uh, employment could bounce back quite quickly once uh, the situation normalises. But if we don't manage to achieve that and there's widespread um, closures of businesses across the country, then we are likely to see that big spike in the unemployment rate, but also that very slow recovery that we typically see during a normal recession. And the issue is, of course, the current conditions are changing rapidly day by day, and so it's very hard to read. Absolutely. The the degree of uncertainty in in financial markets and across the economy at the moment is as high as I've ever seen. It certainly rivals, if not surpasses, the global financial crisis. So we're really dealing with this very fast-moving economic and financial shock. And the things that we're thinking today could actually be quite different from how we're thinking about the economy in a week or two down the track. And we know that because if we cast our minds back a couple of weeks, we were talking about, you know, very different things. Um, So this is is definitely something that's going to be unfolding quite rapidly over, you know, the the coming weeks. And that's going to sort of frame the the ongoing policy response from the federal government, state governments and, and the Reserve Bank. Well, the Reserve Bank actually did cut interest rates down to 0.25%, and they've started buying government bonds, and uh, they've also indicated to keep the financial markets liquid for some time. Uh, What's your reading of that? Yeah, so there's a lot lot to unpack there. So beginning with the the rate cuts and the, um, the quantitative easing, I don't think Those policy shifts are going to have a big impact on the economy right now, mostly because when the Reserve Bank cuts interest rates, it does tend to take a long time for that to flow through to the real economy. Often we talk about the lag between a rate cut and economic activity as being, you know, 12 to 18 months. So the rate cut and the bond buying is more about, I guess, putting the economy in a good position to recover 12 months from now, 18 months from now. I think the most important policy that the Reserve Bank introduced yesterday was their um, term funding facility, which is designed to encourage greater lending to Australian businesses. That speaks to keeping Australian businesses liquid throughout this crisis. That's going to help to to keep the lights on, to keep businesses operating so that when conditions do normalise, you know, they can bounce back and, you know, recover and, and hire people and you know, basically not go bankrupt. 
So I think that's definitely going to be the policy change they announced yesterday that's going to have the biggest impact on the economy over the next three to six months. Do you expect this will uh, keep a recession at bay? At at this stage, I think it is likely that we'll have a recession. I think there's definitely going to be a big drop in economic activity through the March quarter. Um, There is the potential for another drop in activity throughout the June quarter. What we don't know at the moment is how large the federal government's second fiscal stimulus package is going to be. We know that the first package was unlikely to stave off a recession. Uh, We expect the second stimulus package to be much larger, both in monetary terms and in the the scope of the programs being announced. Um, But it will take a a sizable stimulus package, probably much larger than the the Rudd stimulus uh, throughout the global financial crisis to keep Australia out of a recession. I think at this point in time, I would certainly be betting on a recession being more likely than not um, over the next six to nine months. And, uh, I mean, uh, the uh, fiscal stimulus, uh, the first fiscal stimulus already feels inadequate uh, even before it's been legislated. And uh, so, especially when you compare it to the stimulus packages proposed by other countries. So, um, as you say, we're going to need another GFC type of response. So do you think the government will be up to it? Well, it's, it's certainly unclear at the moment. I think they are beginning to understand the, the sheer size of this economic shock and the sort of downside risk that it presents for the Australian economy, not just in the near term, but over a number of years. I suspect that they, they will deliver a, a sizable stimulus in the, ne- in the coming days. Um, I would be shocked if it was smaller than the GFC response. Um, I, I think if it falls short of that, then... You know, all bets are off regarding the economy. I think you're looking at a, a quite significant recession and sort of long-term persistent effects that is going to impact the labour market and the broader economy over a number of years. So it, it is really important at the moment that the federal government gets this right. They have to go big and they have to, to do it quickly um, because the fact that there still isn't really much fiscal stimulus in the economy, you know, it hasn't been legislated, means that they're not helping the economy at the moment. And that, that really has to change quite quickly because this can easily get away from them and the job losses can mount up and then they're really scrambling to catch up. And once they're in that situation, it's going to be really difficult to contain the economic fallout. And uh, indeed, and I mean, it almost feels like uh, with all these fiscal packages around, it almost feels like we're back in the 70s again. <laughs> well, you'd have to tell me about that. I wasn't alive back then. So I, I can't right. speak to what happened during the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. But you, but you do have, uh, but you do know the history of it. Oh, of course. I mean, it was a very difficult, uh, very different economic in- environment back then, and it, and it does appear as though we are sort of shifting back to to that era from an economic standpoint, where where growth is much weaker. There's you know much greater risk associated with the with the economy. And obviously, I think, you know, policymakers need to look to the past, whether it be the GFC or the experience throughout the the 70s and 80s, as a way to get through this crisis and look at what worked and look at what didn't and sort of frame your policy response around that. Well, it'll be fascinating to watch, Callum, and uh, we'll watch it with great interest. And uh, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Leon. So what's happening in the news? Well, bloody hell. The US Federal Reserve estimates coronavirus job losses could top 47 million and a 32.1% unemployment rate 
topping the Great Depression peak of 24.9%. And businesses will be paid a wage subsidy of up to $1,500 per employee under a federal government plan to keep thousands of Australians in work during the coronavirus crisis. Almost half the workforce will receive $1,500 a fortnight for the next six months under a record $130 billion wage subsidy. In good news for workers already laid off by companies like Qantas, Meyer, and retail billionaire Solomon Liu's premier investments, the government's wage help will be backdated to cover staff stood down, not permanently sacked, in recent weeks. The new scheme will form part of the government's third economic assistance package. Mr Morrison and Treasurer Josh Frydenberg announced that an estimated 6 million people, those sacked or stood down since March the 1st, as well as those still working for struggling small, medium and big businesses, will be eligible for the payment, which is designed to keep workers and businesses connected. The money is a flat payment, meaning everybody receives the same amount, regardless of current or previous income, and it will be paid to employers through the Australian Taxation Office. To be eligible, companies with turnovers of less than $1 billion must have lost at least 30% of turnover, while those with turnovers of more than $1 billion, such as airlines, must be down by at least 50%. The employer must then use the payment to subsidise wages for those still working, or pay it directly to those who are stood down, but are still on the books. If a worker has been retrenched since March the 1st, the employer can put them back on the books so they can become eligible for the payment. This would disqualify them for the separate welfare wage of a maximum $1,100 a fortnight, known as a job seeker payment, which is administered through Centrelink. For people who will still be dependent on the welfare wage, the government also on Monday lifted from $48,000 to $79,762 the amount an unemployed person's partner can earn before they become ineligible for the benefit. The new $1,500 JobKeeper payment is effective immediately. It will be taxed like normal income, but there will be no superannuation guarantee payable on the money. Those eligible are full-time and part-time workers, as well as casuals who've been with the same employer for 12 months. Sole traders and the not-for-profit sector are included. The payment will be made to eligible businesses in the first week of May as monthly arrears from the tax office. The businesses can either start paying workers now, if they have cash flow, or back pay them to March the 30th, when the money arrives. As part of the Team Australia debt relief for firms hobbled by the virus, banks are expanding six-month repayment deferrals to 30,000 extra small and medium enterprises, or SMEs, for loans up to $10 million. In a quid pro quo, banks will require participating mid-sized commercial landlords not to evict tenants such as retail shops which can't afford rent. And Australia's benchmark index has ended the first quarter of a year nearly $500 billion poorer, down 24% after falling from a market capitalisation of $2 trillion down to $1.56 trillion. While it is still too early to say if the relentless efforts from central banks and governments to support the global economy would be enough to cushion economic recession and support stock markets, underperformance of stock markets rarely lasts for a long time. The benchmark ASX 200 index finished Tuesday's session at 5,076.8 points, a decline of 104.6 points, or 2%. Since the start of the year, the index has slumped from a session high of 7,197 on 20th of February to a low of 4,402.50 on March 23rd. Markets have tumbled as governments impose travel restrictions and lockdowns in a bid to slow the spread of COVID-19, but which are also likely to lead to a recession. Future market performance depends on the rate of coronavirus infections and deaths around the world. 
and the COVID-19 pandemics have forced the federal and state governments into their highest level of debt since post-World War II years, with expensive stimulus measures and a plunge in tax receipts to push public debt to $1.5 trillion next year. Servicing the debt could also push future governments to consider new and radical options, with a range of suggestions canvassed on Tuesday by experts, including a renegotiation of the GST, an overhaul of the tax and industrial relations system, and diluting of superannuation concessions. UBS Chief Economist George Tharanow said debt across governments would increase by $500 billion by the end of next year, the equivalent of 80% of gross domestic product, pushing it to levels not seen since the 1950s. Mr Tharanow expected combined state and federal budget deficits in the 2020 financial year to reach 16% of GDP, the highest since World War II. And the government's promised tax cuts may need to be wound back as the nation's finances face what former Reserve Bank of Australia Governor Bernie Fraser describes as a reckoning to deal with an explosion in budget deficits and public sector debt that could reach $1.5 trillion. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has spent $194 billion on stimulus measures to fight the economic impact of the coronavirus, including a $130 billion wage subsidy package announced on Monday. Economists have generally welcomed the response, but forecasts the government's plan to be net debt-free by 2030 is now highly unlikely, with some MPs resigned to dealing with an intergenerational debt transfer lasting decades. Mr Fraser, who was Reserve Bank Governor during Australia's last recession in 1991, predicted there would be a reckoning for a swathe of government policies, including tax cuts, as the economy comes to grips with an awful overhang of debt. He said the cost of the government support packages, the equivalent of the entire annual defence, education and health budgets combined, would mean the government would have to re-examine policies it had already legislated. A new tranche of company tax cuts for firms earning over $50 million starts next financial year, while personal income tax cuts worth $132 billion over a decade begin in 2022-23. And Australia's economic growth could be slashed by up to 22% in the short term from shutdowns of business activity in response to the coronavirus, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development has warned. Huge government and central bank economic rescue packages, however, are likely to partially offset the expected deep, steep declines. In a preliminary international analysis, the OECD said partial and full shutdowns of economies by governments around the world to contain the virus would lead to sharp contractions in the level of output, household spending, corporate investment and international trade. Australia's high exposure to mining and agricultural activity could shield it from the worst of the slump. The Paris-based organisation guessed economic output in Australia could initially fall as much as 22% in between the 20% and 25% tipped for other advanced economies. The slump in world economies would far outweigh the international recessions experienced during the 2008-2009 global financial crisis. The OECD estimates the level of economic output would be cut two percentage points from GDP for each month that strict containment measures are in place. And residential and commercial landlords will be banned from evicting tenants under financial stress caused by the coronavirus economic downturn for the next six months, federal and state governments have announced. The National Cabinet on Sunday agreed to the moratorium on evictions for tenants amid concerns that jobless and struggling retailers won't be able to afford full rent. Landlords and tenants not significantly affected by the coronavirus are expected to honour their leases and rental agreements, the National Cabinet said. Banks will act as a backstop by offering loan repayment deferrals to help landlords ride out a fall in rental income, while federal and state governments are working on a package of tax relief measures to ease the financial burden on property owners. 
The coronavirus economic recession is already leading to mass job losses across retail, hospitality, tourism, leisure, sport and entertainment. Retailers are temporarily shutting stores including Maya, Cotton On Group, Country Road, footwear retailer Accent Group, jewellery chains Michael Hill and Levisa, fashion retailers Mosaic Brands, City Chic and Pass Group, outdoor leisure retailer Kathmandu, homewares retailer Adairs and auto parts retailer Babcor. And the federal government has placed severe, immediate and indefinite restrictions on all foreign investment bids following at least two cases of Chinese-owned companies in Australia securing tonnes of precious medical supplies and shipping them back to China. Effective from 10.30pm on Sunday, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg lowered to zero the dollar value of every foreign investment bid that would trigger scrutiny by the Foreign Investment Review Board and then ultimately by him. Presently, there are varying foreign investment thresholds depending on the buyer, the country in which they're based, and the type of asset being sought. Thresholds range from $1.192 billion to $275 million to, to zero. Under the change, the threshold is zero for everything, meaning all bids will have to be weighed against the national interests. As well as protecting distressed Australian businesses and assets from fire sale takeovers, the crackdown was sparked after the two Chinese-owned property developers, Greenland Australia and Rizland Australia, had staff secured more than 100 tonnes of equipment and ship it back home. Greenland employers sourced bulk supplies of, of surgical masks, thermometers, antibacterial wipes, hand sanitizer, gloves and Panadol in January and February as the coronavirus took hold in its point of origin, Wuhan, and spread through China. And as thousands of Australian workers are displaced by the coronavirus pandemic, Several industries are bucking the trend, according to new LinkedIn data. The three industries most likely to serve as a bright spot for job seekers are IT, healthcare and finance. Hiring activity has grown by more than 17% in software services and IT between February the 10th and March 19. Similarly, it was up at 12.6% in healthcare and 10.3% in finance. The impact of the virus is obvious in other sectors, however, with overall hiring activity declining by 25.6% for the period. And Ansel is one of the few ASX-listed companies experiencing much higher demand in the coronavirus pandemic, with sales of its body protection suits, single-use examination gloves and surgical gloves booming. Ansel on Monday was able to reiterate its full-year profit guidance because of a spike in demand for its product, even though demand for other products used by manufacturers and industrial customers is falling. The company is also lifting manufacturing capacity at some plants by making extra investments to try to keep up with the extra demand from the hospital and medical sectors. Ansel is working closely with government authorities around the world to ensure its production facilities could keep manufacturing these in-demand products. A range of stringent measures had been put in place at the group's factories, including daily temperature checks, screening of the workforce, social distancing rules and extra sanitation of surfaces. Ansel has a workforce of 13,000 around the world, with its main operations in North America, Asia, Europe and Latin America. And Woolworths has partnered with Australia Post and logistics company DHL to supply Australians who are unable to leave their homes with boxes full of supermarket basics. For a flat $80, customers can receive a box containing meals, snacks and a few essential items delivered to their door via Australia Post in two to five days. And a trial of existing HIV and arthritis drugs that could stem the coronavirus tide will start next Monday with the help of a $1 million donation from Australia's richest person, Anthony Pratt. The renowned Peter Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity at the University of Melbourne will begin the trial 
planned for 60 hospitals around Australia, seeking a treatment for the virus to possibly kill it, stop it multiplying, or helping the body overcome it. Mr Pratt said COVID-19 needed a call to arms from Australia's wealthiest people to contribute even more than in the manner they did for the bushfire crisis early this year. And the federal government looks set to reject Virgin Australia's initial request for a $1.4 billion bailout loan, as Qantas pressures its debt-laden rival by insisting any government assistance be proportional and tensions between the two airlines reach new heights. Virgin has asked for a $1.4 billion loan to help it survive the coronavirus crisis. Finance Minister Matthias Cormann said the government is committed to having two competitive domestic airlines, but didn't outline what any additional industry-wide financial support might involve. It is not our plan to take a stake in an airline, Mr Cormann told the ABC. But let me also say that on the other side of all this, we're committed to ensuring that through our policy settings, and like that on the other side, we have two competitive airlines. The latest battle between the airlines on the form government assistance should take comes a week after Virgin complained to the competition regulator that Qantas was spreading misinformation designed to undermine the smaller airline during the turmoil. The Australian Securities and Investments Commission is examining whether Qantas breached the law and engaged in false or misleading statements about rival Virgin Australia, which could have influenced moves in the share price of both airlines. And Australia's leading fruit, baked beans, spaghetti processor, SPC Armona, says it is canning and packaging as fast as it can, but running out of raw product after waves of panic buying. SPC Chairman Hussain Rafay said sales of canned and packaged fruit, tomatoes, baked beans and spaghetti had gone crazy, with product now being loaded straight from production lines at Shepparton in regional Victoria onto trucks. Supermarkets have imposed limits on canned food purchases, and SPC is running 24 hours a day, seven days a week to keep up. SPC has stopped making varieties of core products so that the production line can run flat out, but is reaching the point where there is no fruit or tomatoes left to process. There is also no specific Commonwealth legislation that provides the government with authority to regulate or manage the manufacture, distribution or sale of food in the event of a significant disruption to either local production or imports. As well as canned and packaged food products, Australia is running low on pasta, with imports from Italy disrupted and is no longer self-sufficient in rice. And Boots, an outdoor clothing maker, R.M. Williams, is temporarily shutting down its factory at Salisbury in northern Adelaide because of a coronavirus pandemic, with 709 staff to be stood down. The company had already shut its 57 retail stores in Australia and 12 overseas outlets on March the 29th, and, after a full review of the operations, decided a temporary closure of the manufacturing site for four weeks was the best strategy in the short term. Luxury goods makers around the world have been experiencing a sudden drop in demand as the economic turmoil from the coronavirus pandemic accelerates, with people staying at home and aggressively cutting back on discretionary spending. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to UniSA's Professor Jana Matthews, giving her tips for business survival in this pandemic. And then I'll be talking to economist Nicholas Green, looking at what lessons we can learn from the pandemic and how we can do things better. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBizBioWZ, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.